The sermon text for this morning is Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 8. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, for the third time, Lord, we ask that you would perform among us Verse 5, and that the love of God would be poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Use my words, I pray, and draw near by your Spirit to perform this great heart transaction. May some be saved to experience it for the first time. And may the languishing saints be made alive and aflamed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here we are lingering now one more Sunday over this verse 5 of chapter 5 of Romans. My whole point has been that this is an experience, not an argument. You can arrive at the conclusion that you're loved by God with an argument. You can argue like this. Premise one, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. Premise two, I'm part of the world. Conclusion, he loves me. And if that's your life, alone, you don't know love. Because... Christianity is not the conclusion at the end of a syllogism. It is a meeting with God. It is a living supernatural power called the Holy Spirit moving into our hearts, shedding abroad the love of God God, experientially. Now, last week I said two things about this experience. Uh, One, that it is done by the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 5. Through the Holy Spirit, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And the second thing I said last week was that this experience is based on factual, objective content. You don't get it by emptying your head, hoping for a buzz. It's not like drugs, and it's not like a mantra. Now, I want to linger on that one for just a minute, because I didn't make, make the case as fully as I could have. I want to connect for you verse 8 and 5. So look at verse 8 with me. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to look at the time of the, the verbs in that 
verse. Look at the last one. Christ died for us. That's past tense. That happened a long time ago. That's objective. You can't change it. It's outside of you. It's finished. It's over. He died. And that's made the content of the demonstration in the first part of the verse of the love of God and how natural it would have been for Paul to say, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's not what he wrote. He wrote, God demonstrates, present tense, his love toward us today, in that Christ died 2,000 years ago. Now think about that for a minute. It must mean then that this historical, objective reality of the death of his son out there in history is somehow made contemporary, real, and powerful as God does something now to demonstrate a now love, a now love toward his saints. And that's why I said last week that the experience of the love of God being poured out in your heart is a mediated experience rooted in factual, objective content. And now you see the connection. Just put verse 8 on top of verse 5. You see, in verse 5 we have God the Spirit pouring out the love of God into our hearts. That's a demonstration, a present tense, ongoing, outpouring demonstration of the love of God. But according to verse 8, the content of that demonstration is outside of us in something objective, something real, something in history, and something you can read about in verses 5 to 8 and all over the New Testament from many witnesses who saw him, touched him, talked to him. So Christianity while not being merely the conclusion at the end of an argument, is neither an experience at the end of a needle or with cross-legged, empty-headed, mantra-like chanting. Christianity is a supernatural experience of the Holy Spirit mediating the love of God to you through... A historical person who did a historical act, namely dying, rising to bear your sin. And the way the Holy Spirit mediates this love to us that was shown in Christ is by opening the eyes of the heart so that you see the beauty and the glory of the love of God for you when you look at the cross. That was last week's second point. It is a mediated experience, but it is an experience. Now, I just want to say two other things about this experience today. Number one, or you could call it number three. Namely, this experience is experienced by all Christians, at least in some measure. Now, why do I say that? That this experience of the Holy Spirit pouring out the love of God experientially in our hearts is the mark of every true believer. Not just a, a charismatic upper echelon or a mature group who have been a Christian for a long time. 
or somebody who's had a distinct second experience. Why do I say that? I say it because in verse 5, the our and the us are the same people. Let's read it. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts. Okay, who's that? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's not another group. That's the same group. So who is this second group? Namely, the group to whom the Holy Spirit has been given. Now, the answer to that question is given in Romans 8, 9. Namely, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. It goes like this, Romans 8, 9. You, you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. So you have the Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ. That's the same Spirit. There's not three Spirits. There's one Spirit, sometimes called the Spirit, sometimes called the Holy Spirit, sometimes called the Spirit of God, sometimes called the Spirit of Christ. And then the last part of the verse says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Nobody is a Christian who does not have the Spirit. And everybody who is a Christian has the Spirit. Now go back to verse 5. So, the us at the end of verse 5, the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, means Christians, genuine believers in Jesus. And therefore, the our hearts is also all Christians. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who? Who's the hour? Who has been given to us, all Christians? Now, I added the little phrase, in some measure, so that you wouldn't despair. All Christians have this experience in some measure. It might be very small. And the reason that is so is because to become a Christian is not to draw a conclusion at the end of a syllogism and sign a card that you think it's good logic. That makes nobody a Christian. To be a Christian is as the syllogism unfolds, the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of the heart so that in the truth of the gospel being presented by a Billy Graham or somebody on the radio or me in the pulpit or a tract that you're reading or a book that you're reading or a TV evangelist, as the, as the gospel is unfolded and the historical events of Jesus Christ embodying the love of God are pointed to, the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your heart and you see them as glorious. True, beautiful. You see God in Christ. And he stands forth in those historical facts mediated along the news of the gospel into your mind and then down into your heart as the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God as your eyes are opened by the Spirit to see the love of God as the most precious treasure in all the world. That's how you got saved. 
You don't have to articulate it like that. You don't have to say it like that. That's what happened. Or you're not saved. And the experience of God might be a mustard seed. Just You just knew that when the gospel was preached, this is absolutely glorious and beautiful and meets my every need. And you couldn't articulate any theology hardly at all. And that's okay. That's what life is for. Theology. And praise and doxology and worship and obedience rooted in it. So, I conclude, everybody who's a Christian has had the love of God poured out in their heart and has tasted the experience of it at least in some measure. Now here's my last point. The fourth one about this experience. Every Christian's experience of the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit varies from time to time And it varies from person to person. Now, why do I say this? I say it because in verse 5, I see two kinds of verb tenses again. Notice carefully, if you're reading especially the NASB, I think most versions get this right. The love of God has been poured out in within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, there's, it's not a mistake that they translated those verbs with different tenses in English because they are different in the original language. And the last one, was given to us, the aorist, means it's a point in time, it's finished, it's over, you've got the Spirit, there's no second giving or third giving in the sense that you got it the first time, you've got it and it's in you and he doesn't go away. The other verb, has been poured out. The love of God has been poured out, is the perfect, which means a past event with ongoing effects, ongoing workings out. And my point here is, these ongoing effects vary. Sometimes the experience of God's love is low, and sometimes the experience of God's love is so high, you must ask him to stay his hand. Now, let's ask this. Does Paul help us with some, not only evidences that this is so elsewhere, but descriptions of how we might pursue the fullness of it? Because that's implicit in my last point, that not only do the, these, this experience, does this experience vary up and down in a soul and from person to person, but because of that, every Christian should pursue the maximum fullness of this experience. Is there any place where Paul helps us with that? And I'm going to show you three texts and then be done. Number one, 2 Thessalonians 3.5 goes like this. It's a benediction. You know what a benediction is? A benediction is when I look at you at the end of the service, I look at you, my eyes are open, and I say, the Lord bless you. So who am I talking to? Well, I'm talking to you. 
But I'm telling the Lord to do something to you, you see? A, a benediction is a bi-directional form of speech. So you look into somebody's face and you tell God to do something to them. That's what we've got here in 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Now that's an amazing statement. You see that? May the Lord direct your heart. The heart has directions. The heart is never still. It is a mover. It's always moving toward food or drink or rest or TV or money or friends or wife or sex or job or fame or God. It's never still. It's a desire factory. Your heart is not still right now. It wants something. And this verse says, may the Lord take your heart and direct it. I wonder if you believe God has the right to do that. I do. If he didn't, I'd quit the ministry today. What's the point? If I can't lift my hand over this congregation and say, may the Lord direct your heart to the love of God. What could I do? I could do arguments. That's what I could do. We could do syllogisms. Yay! Let's get together and do syllogisms every Sunday. Got the conclusion? See you next week for another syllogism. Well, I believe that God can do this, and I do pray that he'll do it for you this morning. May the Lord direct your heart into the love of God. Now, what would that be if it isn't the pouring out of the love of God into your heart by the Holy Spirit? And so God does this. This is called revival, by the way, when it happens to a lot of people all at one time. If you ever hear the word revival thrown around, revival is a, is a uh, historically anyway, a very distinct work of God. It's not a work of man. Revival is a work of God whereby in a congregation or a nation and lots of congregations in the nation, Christians' hearts experience 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. God corporately takes the heart of the people and he directs it. To the love of God. And the people explode with love to God and assurance in God and boldness for God and get rid of sins against God. That's called revival. And we should pray for it for our church and every church because none of us has arrived. Second text I want you to look at is 2 Corinthians 13 14. It's another benediction, and it goes like this. It's the last verse of 2 Corinthians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The love of God be with you all. Now, what in the world do I mean 
when I say that at the end of a service. The love of God be with you all. The love of God be with you all. I can imagine somebody standing up and saying, don't say that over me. I got the love of God. Says so in Romans 8.35. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. So keep your own, keep your own, the love of God be with you stuff. I've got the love of God. How would you answer that? I've got it. Don't tell it to be with me. You don't need to tell it to be with me. It is with me. Here's the answer to that. Yes, Christian, you have the love of God and nothing will separate you from the love of God. But your experience of the love of God goes up and down every day. And sometimes it is so low, you can hardly believe he loves you. And sometimes it is so high, nothing could stop you from believing that he loves you. And you go up and you go down. And you go up and you go down. And it is fitting, therefore, that in the dynamic of the body of Christ, we say things to one another like, the love of God be with you. Meaning, know the love, taste the love. Oh, may the love of God be poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's asking. He's asking that Romans 5, 5 happen at the end of this letter. Last text. Ephesians three fourteen to 19. This is the most wonderful prayer in the Apostle Paul's writings. It may be the third most wonderful prayer in all the Bible. If you give to John 17 the greatest and then give to the Lord's Prayer the second greatest, I think this one comes next. Someday I'm going to preach 15 or 30 messages on this prayer because it is so multi-layered. The meaning is so profound. So let me read it with you. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. Here's a prayer that you should pray for yourself and others. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, Paul says, from whom uh, every family in heaven and on earth is named. And here comes the content of the prayer. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you being rooted and grounded in love. Mark that word. In love. May have may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love. Mark it again. The love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's read it backwards and show you how it relates to Romans 5.5. 5. What's the goal of the prayer? To be filled with all the fullness of God. Are you there? Anybody got that one in your back pocket? We done with this? We know that. On to something else? Anybody? See me afterwards. I'll bow down. I want that. Because the Apostle Paul prayed that I should have it. And I think being filled with all the fullness of God is the same as having the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Why do I think that? Because if you read backwards now and ask, okay, how does this come about? The answer is, it comes about through knowing the 
incomprehensible love of Christ, whose height and depth and length and breadth is beyond knowledge, so that you might be filled. Do you see the connection there between knowing the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, and being filled with all the fullness of God? One is a means to the other. So, in knowing the love of Christ, which is beyond knowledge and incomprehensible, and yet the heart knows it with its own kind of knowing, we become filled up with all the fullness of God. So then the question becomes, and how do we experience the love of Christ like that? How do we know the unknowable love of Christ? And you go backwards and it says, well, in order to do that, you have to be rooted and grounded in love so that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and depth and have the love of Christ and then be filled with all the fullness of God. So it's love to love. You see that? We must be rooted in love, founded on love, so that we have the power to recognize unknowable love and thus be filled with all the fullness of God. This is worth 15 sermons. I have spent more time in this prayer than any prayer in all the Bible because no prayer in all the Bible kindles longings in me like this prayer kindles longings in me. Doesn't it do that for you? Don't you want to know what this is talking about? I hardly know what it's talking about. It's all about experience. It's all about the fullness of the love of God. It's all about knowing the unknowable love of Christ. It's all about roots going down into love before you know the love of Christ so that you can know the love of Christ. This is mystery all. And yet, Paul puts it in a book, in words, so that we read it so that we'll pray it, so that we'll experience, and maybe in the miraculous experience of it, know what it means. Oh, long for this. Pray this for your children. Pray this for your spouses. If you wonder, how do I pray for my family? Pray this prayer every day. Pray it for your soul. Pray it for this church. Pray it for me. And if you ask then, and how do you get rooted in the love of God? so that you have power to comprehend the unknowable, so that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. The answer is given as you move back one last step. You must be strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit. And now we've arrived at Romans 5.5. There must be a work by the Holy Spirit here. This is not a human wrought work here. This is God the Spirit doing something. So here's my understanding of how Romans 5, 5, the outpouring of the love of God through the Holy Spirit relates to Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. And it's just this. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19 is a prayer exposition of the reality of Romans 5, 5. If you want to know what it's like to have the love of God poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given to you, meditate on these verses. Ephesians 3. Well, I'm done. What's plain as far as those of you now who I hope and I pray it's all of you want this. You want to taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't want just an argument with a conclusion. You want an experience of the living God mediated through objective facts so that you're not some mantra chanting person or some shooting up person. You want to know objective reality mediated by the Holy Spirit exploding in your heart with self-authenticating experience of the love of God. If you want that, 
There are two obvious things you do. One is you meditate upon the objective reality laid out in the Bible called the gospel of Christ crucified. And the other is you pray, 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 pray. Do it to me. Do it to me. Do it to me. Direct my heart. Direct my heart. Let the love of God be upon me. Fill my heart with all the fullness of God, which is the love of Christ, beyond knowledge, rooted in love, wrought by the Holy Spirit, Christ dwelling in my heart. Do those things to me, even if I can't understand what I'm saying, so that I might recognize it in the doing. I wonder if you have any problems with, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's true. It's not enough. Needs another verse. I made it up. (laughs) Jesus loves me. There's no doubt. For the Spirit pours it out. Little ones to Him belong. We are weak, but He is strong. Amen. You're dismissed.